look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle Matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmally here, and Dave Popwich is away. Unfortunately, a member of his family passed away, so our condolences from the entire Chorus Radio and uh, PKAG uh, to Dave and his family. Um, we have a great show today. We're going to be talking about a whole bunch of things. First of all, if you're going across border, you're going to move to the U.S., there's some whole tax issues. We're going to address that today in our show. There's an estate planning document that people don't really spend a lot of time on. It's called a personal care directive. What does it mean? How do you deal with it? What if you don't need it or do you always need it? We're going to talk to a lawyer about that. And then people are downsizing. People are downsizing, uh, going from a larger home to a smaller home. Um, We're going to talk to an expert on how do you downsize. But there was a great article that came out of Money Sense magazine that I was looking at. And I said, you know, this this article was talking about what the average Canadian spends and how much money do you need saved in re- for retirement in this in this article. So to give you a bit of a Coles Notes version, I want to actually bounce these this conversation off with a well known name on this radio station, Sue DL. She's the co host of Seven Seventy CHQR's Morning Show. Sue, welcome. Uh, hi, Faisal. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming. I wanted the right person on the show, so thank God it was you and not Popovich. <laughs> That's a good thing. You know, I want to talk about this because I think from your perspective and from all the stuff that you do in the morning show, all the different people that come on and mm-hmm. how all the all the political issues and individual Calgarians coming on the show, let's let's get a different perspective than just two money guys talking about, you know, should you save and should you not save and stuff. Let's get some more meat on this one. So, so Sue, from your perspective, and this is what the Money Sense magazine said, single individual in retirement, $33,000 a year is what the average income they need to spend less than $3,000 a month for a couple 44,000. What are your thoughts? I don't feel like that's enough. I mean, you know, <laughs> I, I look at my own life. I, you know, I'm married and we have two kids and we don't go out a ton because we do have two young kids. So we'll spend a lot of money on food and, you know, entertaining people at our own home and just living. I, I just can't imagine a single person on 33,000 or a couple on 44. That just doesn't seem enough to me. And I agree with that. I think when we start to with, go through the numbers, if the average uh, Canadian, a Calgarian family, this is average, mm-hmm. is at ninety thousand dollars, they're they're spending more than three or four thousand dollars a month. You're not kidding. Right? I mean, and so, you look at the way people spend on on coffee and lunches and and snacks. We we all go out and spend so much on. Just that, you know, that little bit here and there, that's got to add up to a whole lot as well. Yeah. And so this Money Sense Meg, uh, article came out and said, okay, well, if it's thirty-three or 44000 most of your money is going to come from Canadian Pension Plan and Old Age Security. So now we're already pushing people at 65 uh, to, to do this. In fact, a Franklin Templeton survey said that 51% of baby boomers expect their, their government pensions will be their primary or secondary source for retirement income. So the conversation goes into how much are you saving to, to cover the difference. But we're saying it might be more than thirty-three or $44,000 per year. So if that's the case, what do you think people should be looking at? Considering, considering that most, about one, or, sorry, one, or, one out of every three 65-year-old or older Canadian has less than $100,000 saved for retirement. Wow. Because that's, and that seems, uh, I'm shocked by that actually. 
in a way because I thought, you know, it's hammered into our heads that we really need to think forward and think ahead and put that money aside and and invest properly. So I'm kind of surprised that that's that's the number we're at. I'll take that Franklin Templeton stat one step further. One in five have saved zero dollars for retirement. Zero dollars. Zero. That scares me a lot. You know, because who's to say that we're even going to have that government money coming our way? I mean, I'm not 65 yet. I'm not even close. And I'm prepared for there to be nothing coming my way that I need to really cover myself for what's going to happen in my retirement years. Yeah. And and so, so, yeah, there's a whole bunch of Canadians who are not prepared financially for their retirement. And we, this is a problem. Um, I've been yelling about this for over a decade, um, but there's a whole bunch of people who make a lot more money and $3,000 a month or $4,000 a month for a couple is way too less and they don't have enough money. That's the biggest fear is do I have enough? And so when we start going through this kind of conversation about do I have enough, what other concerns do you think people should be thinking about when they're looking in the future, right? We're talking 10, 20 years down the road, I'm going to retire. What should I be thinking about? Well, I think we live longer than ever, so I don't think you can, you know, calculate, well, I only need from 65 to, you know, even perhaps 80. I mean, we're we're living far longer, so you're going to need more money. You're going to need to stretch it out. The cost of living is only going to increase. And let's face it, I think most of us are pretty spoiled with all the things that we have, and you don't want to have to live without, perhaps, in your retirement years, too. Yeah, and and I'm finding more and more Canadians are are putting on debt. Yes. And as they age, they still have mortgages, lines of credits, car loans. And so if this is again going back to that $44,000 for a couple if you've got debt and you need to live, how, how, how are do you, you pay that? How do you do that? Mhm. Right? Like that's that's the tough one right there. So so what are some tips that you can give being being married with kids and people who are planning out in the future, what tips do you have for them? Well, I can tell you just from my own perspective, I am not financially savvy um it's not it's not my forte and it's not i'm not the one who manages most of that within my household but i do have a great financial guy that i know i can trust when i go to talk to him he's going to <laughs> dumb it down for me and make me understand what i need to do and how i need to do it and i think that honestly is key and i you know i'm not just saying that because it's you and i having this conversation but i think if you know, if you don't have somebody helping you out to to look forward to what's coming in your life down the road, you're you're really missing the boat because we don't understand all, how all these little things work. And financial advisors, that's what you guys do. Yeah. yeah. So I think for me, that's the key. I need somebody that I know I can. You know, I've got this money, or I know I need to invest this much money. I'm going to give it to you because I believe you're going to help me out to be where I I need to be when I retire. What are some of the questions you ask your advisor that you need to understand? Because you're not other than in this explain business. that I don't get it. Yeah, so so that's one of them. Explain that. But <laughs> but what's what's what are some of the things you need to know when you walk out of uh, out of that office space and you're like, okay, now I understand. What are some of the key things you need to know? Well, I think that we, you know, there are so many terms, you know, RRSPs and TFSAs and mm-hmm. real estate and RESPs, and yes, we know the basics. But I think you really have to ask for someone to explain it from start to finish so that you get it and you can understand and sort of envision what it is you need to do 
in order to, you know, be comfortable with your own life and how it's going to roll out. So I think, you know, just making sure that you you have your person dumb it down for you, because I think all of us, we don't like to feel like we're stupid, but I don't think most people understand all the terminology for one. So, so terminology being a key thing, when you see mm-hmm. the words dumb it down, so I, I, I think of that as people comparing themselves from a knowledge level of an expert versus not an expert. You'll never have that same knowledge level. Mm-hmm. So when you say dumb it down, are there things that you look for in your conversation or information that you need to walk away? Because I think this will really help a lot of the listeners to say, I need to ask my advisor questions, but I don't even know what to ask. That's true too. And you know, when I go in, my advisor gives me a printout of everything that I have and you know what it's earning me and what it's making. And we go over that literally. He, you know, we'll make a a good hour, hour and a half long um, time for a meeting so that I can go through that because I don't get it. So uh, that's another step: is have them print out what you have, what you need. What you know, they might suggest you get in the future, and then run through it so that you do understand all of that. Again, it's it's the dumbing it down. I mean, it's a kind of a, a bad way to put it, but I think we need to understand, really understand, when we walk out of a meeting, you know, what we have and what we're going to need. So, do you and your partner do this together? Yes, we do for sure. Okay. Yeah, and she's excellent with money. She's a you know an, an entrepreneur and and very business minded, and that's not my thing. So it's helpful too to have both of us there. I think and and sort of you know we can bounce questions off each other and with our financial person. And I think that's important that you do it together so that you understand you know as a whole as a unit what you've got. What's some, these are some great tips. First of all, explain it to me. Second one, take the time, spend the time, and print off everything so you have an understanding of it. Mm-hmm. And then do it together as a couple. That's fantastic. And Thank tell you. me what I need for down the road. Like really spell it out for me so that I can sort of prep myself and, and think about the actual dollars, what I need. Don't give me some weird percentages. <laughs> Just make it easy for me to understand how much I need to do at the end of the year to make sure that you know I'm doing this properly, this investing thing. Yeah. Money Sense Magazine says $33,000 for a single, $44,000 for a couple. That may not be your number. So you need it spelled out for you from your advisor, Sue DL. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks, Faisal. we got Sue here from 770 CHQR's morning show giving her perspective on things. And we're going to spell it out all for you on our seminar on how do you bulletproof your retirement Tuesday, February 18th, 7 p.m. at the Carriage House Inn. You need to reserve your seats. Give us a call, 966-8400, or go on our website to, me- to, to register at morethanmoneyradio.com. Now, there's some important tax questions to have for snowbirds or people moving to the United States. Join us after the break. We'll talk about that on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back to 770 CHQR and More Than Money. There are many Albertans who found this month and last month too cold. And they're going down south. They're going to the U.S. And some of them are even thinking about moving away, actually living in the U.S., now, there's some problems that can come up with this. There's some issues that we have to think about. And most people, when they speak to me saying, I want to move to the U.S., uh, what do I have to be aware of? And a couple things are that they worry about is health care, and the other one is tax. And so let's take the tax approach. I've got Max Reed, cross-border tax lawyer with SKL Tax, joining us today. Max, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Okay, so we're, we're hearing more and more Canadians moving down south, moving to the U.S., and I'm talking about a full move, not just visiting for a couple of weeks to get away from the winter. We're talking about a move here. What should you be reviewing before you decide to move to the U.S.? Well, a couple things. <clears throat> One, when you leave Canada, there's going to be an exit tax on all, of, on all of your assets, and you're going to have to pay the capital gains tax 
on assets outside of RRSPs and TFSAs. So you're going to want to know what that exposure is. The second thing you're going to want to look at is, well, what does my tax situation look like once I've settled in the United States? And you want to make any adjustments before you leave to take into account for that. So, so when you talk about this exit tax, I don't think most people realize literally what's happening, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Max, is that the day you decide that you want to, or the day that you're actually in the U.S., I believe, it's, it's when, that's when the, the Canadian government says, okay, you have deemed disposed of all of your assets correct. that are outside of an RSP and TFSA. Yeah. <clears throat> so basically what it is, it's a capital gains tax on all of your assets, and that are outside of registered plans. And there's a few other exceptions, which uh, we can get into if we have time. But, but generally, it's the same tax exposure that you have if you would die in Canada. And so the idea is here, well, if you leave Canada, you pay the capital gains tax, or if you die in Canada, you pay the capital gains tax. And uh, it is possible to defer the capital gains tax by posting security, Okay. Um, that is a that is a somewhat involved process. So if you have somewhat, for example, illiquid assets that you cannot um, <clears throat> sell or generate cash to pay the tax on, like private companies, for example, it's possible to, to defer that tax until you either die or sell the assets. But uh, that's that's basically what it is. It's, it's a it's a tax on the increase in value of <clears throat> of your assets um, that are outside of registered plans. Now, obviously, your principal residence mm -hmm. is never subject to capital gains tax, whether you sell it or leave or die. And so that is exempt as well. Okay, so that, that was going to be my next question, because many Canadians are worried about that. Principal residence no longer becomes a principal residence. You're saying it's not the facts. So basically, if you die or leave Canada, you still get that principal uh, residence exemption for capital gains purposes. Well, you get it up until the day you leave, right? Correct. Just to be clear. So if you still own the property while you're away, it's no longer your principal residence because you're away Correct. now. And that, that's, from that point on, you're subject to tax. Yes. Okay. So now, when you look at all these issues and all the experience that you have dealing with Canadians in the cross-border side, what are some of the largest areas of impact from a tax perspective to Canadians? Well, the exit tax is certainly one. We already talked about that a little bit. Yeah. The second is many Canadians who are business owners who, or who have private companies or more complex financial setups significantly underestimate the complexity of the move. And they are always surprised when we say, look, like the U.S. is going to look at your companies and trusts and complex Canadian stuff differently than Canada does. <clears throat> and so you really want to sort that out before you go. Like, that's the, really the biggest point is that, you know, all complexity can be grappled with. But if you, if you suddenly arrive and you, and you get your tax advice after having moved already, that's where the biggest problems arise. Because, as with anything, you know, addressing it preventatively, um, you know, opens up, means you can correct for anything that you need to adjust for. But if you... If you just leave and try and deal with it afterwards, well, that's generally the biggest problem that we see is that people don't do it in a proactive manner. They do it in a reactive manner. Max, in your experience, are you finding the Canadians who are doing this, are they proactive or reactive? Are they coming to you saying, okay, I've already moved. Can you help? Or are they saying, I'm planning on moving? And if so, how far in advance should someone plan for this? Well, we, we get a mix of both. And... 
it's a mix of both, and it's not necessarily um, limited to complexity. So, sometimes people with super complex situations only call after they've moved. Okay. And how how long people should you know start the planning process in advance of the move really depends on the complexity of their situation. If they have private companies or trusts or complex assets in Canada, a long time, maybe six months to a year. If they're, you know, relatively simple salary employees with a house and some registered accounts, then, you know, the, the process, the exit process is, is simpler and it doesn't need to be done as quick, you know, as long, the lead time doesn't need to be as great. Now, there was one question that was asked to me about when you're moving to the States, applying for a green card and so forth, do you think that Canadians should be doing that? Um, what should they be looking for when they're, when they're traveling? And does that impact anything here in Canada if you want to move back? Not really. Okay. Um, uh, the green card, if you have the green card for more than eight, of the, uh, uh, eight out of 15 years, then when you leave the United States, You've got an, some exit tax exposure on leaving the United States. Okay. Um, generally, getting a green card is a fairly involved process. So most people who are moving down aren't going to start on a green card. They're going to start on an H-1B or a TN visa or some other more temporary type of visa um, because getting a green card is, is, is fairly convoluted. So, but, but people do have to watch out for the green card in the sense that, you know, um, the green card the U.S. tax status attaches to the green card. So as long as you have the green card, you have the U.S. tax status. So if you leave the United States and don't give up your green card, you still have American tax obligations because you have the card. Okay. So, and you have to worry about you know, how long you've had the card for, et cetera. So there is some complexity that comes with the green card, but I don't think it needs to be avoided universally. So, Max, some Canadians are thinking, okay, I'm going to move to, let's say, Arizona, spend some time, spend some years there, and then I'll just come back to Canada. Like, you know, like it's completely an option that they're looking at. What, what do we have to be aware of if we want to come back after being in the States? And I understand the green card part, but beyond that, is there anything else that we need to be aware of? Well, you, just like there's, just like there's good tax planning for people leaving Canada, there's good tax planning for people moving to Canada. And the, Tax considerations when you're moving to Canada from the United States, assuming you're not a citizen or a green card holder, are substantially less complex than the reverse move, where Canadians are moving to the United States. But still, you know, people want to think about, well, what kind of assets do I have in the U.S.? What kind of real estate do I have in the U.S.? How is that going to impact me? What, um, what kind of planning do I need to do on the reverse move? But it's certainly possible, and obviously, look, with Canada and the U.S. are the two most integrated economies in the world, so there's a lot of cross-border movement. Yeah. And so if people want to get a hold of you to get some more information and, and kind of walk through a, a strategy if they are planning on moving to the United States, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, well, my phone number is 604-416-1902, and my email is max, M-A-X, at skltax.com, and our website is www.skltax.com, and we'd be very happy to help them. Fantastic. Max, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. That was Max Reed, cross-border tax lawyer with SKL Tax. Now, when you're thinking about traveling, when you're thinking about moving away, or when you're worried about the overall your retirement and how you're going to afford all these different experiences you want to have, you want to make sure you bulletproof that retirement. And we're going to walk you through our strategy. On Tuesday, February 18th, 7 p.m. at the Carriage House Inn, you do need to reserve your seats. 
So give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or you can register online at morethanmoneyradio.com. Now, coming up after the break, if you are a power of attorney for somebody or you're a personal care director for somebody, what are, what's your responsibilities and which one takes priority over the other? We're going to talk about that with our next guest coming up after the break. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back to 770 CHQR and More Than Money. And we have an aging demographic in this country. People are getting older and there are certain documents, legal documents, that you need to have as you are going through life. Three of them in particular. Number one is the will. We need to make sure that you have that. But there are two other documents that don't get the same attention, in my opinion, versus the will. And those two documents are uh, who's going to take care of your money and your personal care in the event you can't take care of yourself. And these documents are very important. So I, I want to have our 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 uh, legal expert to come on board, which he's been on our show many times, to kind of walk us through that and which one takes priority. These are going to be very interesting conversations that we're going to have. We have Catherine Zhang, will and estate lawyer and partner now at Walsh LLP. Catherine, welcome to the show. Thanks, Faisal, for having me. Okay, so Catherine, you and I have been working together for years. When uh, when we, we sit down with our clients and yourself, we kind of go through these three main documents, the will, the power of attorney, and personal care directive. I think Canadians in general have an understanding that when you die, your will kind of dictates where your money and your assets go. But while you're alive, there's two documents, power of attorney and personal care directive. And I don't think Canadians really understand those two documents in detail. So let's start right there. How, what's a power of attorney? So a power of attorney is a document um, that uh, where you appoint somebody to take over your finances um, and any assets you have while you're still alive, and typically it only kicks in when you're incapable. Now, there are other situations where you might want that document to kick in as soon as you sign it um, or upon some other contingency happening, uh, but particularly for the older demographic um, and for the general population, we set it so that it kicks in when you've lost capacity. So that's the power of attorney for the financial Mm -hmm. matters only, correct? That's correct. Okay. So what about the non-financial? Let's talk about the other document. We call it the personal care directive here in Alberta. Yeah, it's called the personal directive. Um, In other provinces, they might be called living wills. And the idea is, in Alberta at least, this document can only kick in when you've lost capacity and you appoint uh, somebody in, in Alberta, that person is called an agent, and they make healthcare-related decisions for you and decisions that are not related to your finan- financial assets. So that includes um, your living accommodations, your social activities, educational activities, um, and of course, your healthcare decisions. Okay, so those are the, uh, is that the two big differences? One takes care of money, the other one takes care of everything but money? That's correct. And one of the reasons why the um, the legislation has done that is because you might not want the same person to, to do both. You might have somebody who you mm. really trust and can depend on for financial decisions, uh, but when it comes to your healthcare and personal related matters, that might not be the right person to make those decisions for you. Okay. So um, in your experience, why would someone choose two different people? Um, There can be a variety of reasons. Uh, Sometimes um, in the family dynamics, there's one person that they feel is really responsible with money um, or has a similar 
investment strategy or um, retention strategy for assets, um, but then they have concerns about whether or not they'll be able to fulfill healthcare decisions. Um, so, um, or somebody in the family might have a medical background and might be better suited for that medical role. Um, it really depends on the situation. Oftentimes, if you have a surviving spouse, um, that spouse will be the same person for both documents. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. The question comes up as who's next in line. So, let's say there's a married couple; they choose mm-hmm. each other to be uh, the the power of attorney and personal directive. They're the agent and so forth. But then, who's next in line? That's when it kind of gets tricky. They start picking other people. Mm-hmm. Do they have to pick the same person? No, they don't have to uh, pick the same person. And in fact, sometimes it's better not to. Um, If there's any concern about, well, I I just want to make sure that my attorney is using uh, my funds appropriately um, and... Uh, but I, I don't want them to be in charge of my healthcare decisions because then, you know, if particularly they're a beneficiary of my estate, I'm concerned that uh, my health I might not be put in the right place that I want to. Uh, yeah. Then you've got a check and balance. You've got somebody managing the purse strings, and then you've got somebody else watching out for your best interests and making sure that um, those healthcare decisions are made with your best interests in mind. And that might not necessarily mean. Um, uh, keeping your estate intact during your lifetime. It might mean dissipating some assets to make sure that you're cared for properly. Okay, let me go through a bit of a scenario with you. We've got, we've got a, a father who's got two children. One of them, let's say the son, is the power of attorney. The daughter is the agent for personal care. So she will make all the health care or non-financial decisions. Um, dad has a bit of a problem here. The father has to go to a long-term care facility. The daughter is choosing a facility that the son, who is the, who's the, uh, the power of attorney, says, mm, we don't want to spend that kind of money. Who gets priority? It's really tough to say in that type of decision. I mean, ideally, you'd have the agent step up and say, well, I've got the authority to decide where dad stays, so here's the invoice. The problem is, in reality, uh, the invoice needs to be paid. So if there's a problem with collecting payment, then... um, I mean, that's up to the that's up to the institution accepting dad as to how long they'll wait until these two can battle it out, yeah. um, either offline or in court. Um, one of the solutions that we talk to um, with clients is maybe having that first discussion with your agent and your attorney so that they're clear on what your wishes are, uh, but perhaps going a step further and and indicating in both documents, listen, it's my wish that um, while I am incapacitated and while the agent is making decisions, that the um, attorney is going to accept those invoices. Um, of course, always couched on the, as long as those invoices are reasonable, as long as those expenses are reasonable, um, and while I still have assets um, to maintain those decisions. Um, so there's a bit of a balance that you can make when you draft those documents. Catherine, do you see a problem with this? Do, do, do you come across where the power of attorney and personal care directive are two different people and they're, they're, they're battling it out? Um, 
yes, we have seen problems. I haven't had a situation to date uh, where we've actually had to go to court over this matter. It usually gets resolved one way or the other. Um, And I mean, the other thing for the power of attorney, um, and we've been talking to clients a lot about is it might not just be your healthcare decisions that you want to give notes to your attorney about. If you've got stuff in your will um, that you want to reserve for a beneficiary in the future, that's something that your attorney should probably know about um, so that they're not dissipating that asset necessarily while you're alive yeah. if they don't need to be. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that, that requires a lot more planning, thought process, more importantly, having someone you can bounce those ideas off of. I think that's where counsel really needs to come into play. Absolutely. Um, so when someone wants to sit down with you and kind of walk through this process, how do they mm. get a hold of you? Uh, well, they can contact me by email. My email is kzhang at walshlaw.ca. They can visit our website, and uh, we've got our direct line here, 403-267-8436. Fantastic. Catherine, I want to yeah. thank you so much for joining us today and giving us a bit of an overview of these two most important documents as people age through their, through their lives. Thanks for having me, Faisal. We've been joined by Catherine Zhang, Wills and Estate Lawyer, partner at Walsh LLP. If you couldn't get that information of how to get in touch with her, feel free to connect with me at morethemoneyradio.com, and uh, we'll, we'll be able to we'll be able to get you connected with with Catherine. So there's a process here. There's a problem here. The process is you need to sit down and figure out. Who's going to be in charge of what if you are unable to take care of yourself? And what's going to happen in the event of your death? Now, as you go through retirement, you want to make sure that you have this estate plan figured out. And we do that for clients, of course, and figure that stuff out and work with lawyers like Catherine. But how do you get through that whole process? How do you make sure you have your retirement lined up, your income lined up, health care taken care of in the event of passing? What happens to your estate? We call this the four buckets. That's income, growth, health care, and legacy. We're going to discuss all those four buckets at our next seminar on Tuesday, February 18th, 7 p.m. at the Carriage House Inn. You need to reserve your seats. So give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400, or you can register online at morethemoneyradio.com. Now, as people start to go through retirement, they're going to start to look at their own their own homes and see maybe there, there's a bit of resizing or downsizing or right-sizing of their home. We're going to talk to an expert on what you need to do if you're going to downsize or right-size your home. You're listening to 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're listening to 770 CHQR and More Than Money. And when people are going through retirement, they're at a certain point in their life, they're like, maybe I'm living in a place that's too big, or maybe I need to right-size my home or downsize my home. What the heck do you do? We've got Cindy Bodette, owner, Destination Seniors Downsizing. Cindy, welcome to the show. Good morning. All right. So people are going through this change. They're realizing their home might be too big or they may not be able to take care of it like they used to. You know, what does someone have to do when they start thinking about maybe downsizing? Well, I think that the first thing that they have to do, Faisal, is they have to know where their next transition is going to be. Because it doesn't, you know, they're not, if they're not going to stay in the house, they, ha- they have to be able to take the stuff that they really, really want with them. 
So that's the most important thing. If they're going to stay in the house, I, you know, you want to downsize a little bit, but why? you got all that room you don't need to at the time. But you want to make things easier for your family as well. So first of all, most important thing is finding about where you're going first. Once you've made that decision, then you can start looking at, okay, I can't take all this stuff with me. What are the most important things that I have to take? And that does not include the 10-foot sofa. <laughs> That's that's got to be tough because I, I'm just imagining, let's say, my father living alone in a bungalow in Calgary, and he may at some point need to move to a different location, a smaller location. And for him to go through all of his stuff and decide what to keep and whatnot, that would be a very challenging process because there's a lot of sentimental value and stuff, stuff that he's just... I think he's hoarded for years, but that's a different story. Um, you know, how do you how do you make people feel like they're not losing everything when they're downsizing? Well, I explain to people, you know, you don't buy that furniture twenty or thirty years ago to think that one day you're going to sell it and make money. So yeah. for, that's the first thing people have to kind of get around that maybe maybe it's time that they buy a few things that will fit in the new place. But I always tell people this is the most important thing, even when I do it. I'm going to buy myself a memory. If I'm in, on holidays, I'm going to buy myself a memory so that in 30 years, I'm going to look at that small little Eiffel Tower I bought and go, wow, I remember we had that in France. Yeah. So it's the pictures, it's the family pictures, it's all the little memories they've picked up along the way that are the most important things. And I always tell people, you know, I'll look around their house and I'll say, oh, that piece, that little sofa table would be perfect. We'll put it in the front door and put all the kids' grad photos on it with a lamp. They come in, drop their keys, boom, there you go. So each room that they walk into is a memory. Hmm. And, you know, people have to go through, you know, even the kids don't want to do it all because they've, they, the parents will never listen to their children, right? Because even though their kids are 60, they're still their kids. Yeah. So you have to look at it and say, okay, Dad, how about you go through this the second bedroom? Nobody uses it, and let's see what's in there. And if it, if there's really if it's just linens, let's donate them. Okay. And then once you have done a room, close the door, don't go back in, and don't put anything else in there. That is the key, right? So you want to make sure that they're not taking paperwork that is, you know, ten years old. I just got rid of. You know, my, my files to shredding last week. I just went through everything. Okay. So that's all done. I don't have to do them for another two years. So would you say step one is start to purge? Purge, absolutely. Okay. And okay. don't try to unload it to your family because <laughs> they don't want it. And quite frankly, the grandchildren don't want it either. Oh, but there are things that they would like, you know, <laughs> like maybe the baseball that they got when they went to the baseball game and in, uh, in you know, some city that they went on a, on a family trip. Sure, those are, those are great memories to have, but purging is really important. And I don't say throw it away, because I'm not a believer of throwing stuff away, but somebody else would love to have it. So if you have a picture that's not going to fit, see if a friend you can gift it to them. Yeah. And that gifting is really good, and it makes both parties feel so good. Yeah, I, I find that, you know, I have my, my, my father will come visit and see my kids and he'll drop off something 
for them, usually mm-hmm. a treat. Yeah. Uh, and then he'll drop something off for me, something that that he's kept in the home for so many years, and yeah. that you know, here's a hat that I wore in the '70s, Faisal, mm-hmm. and here you go. And I'm like, I don't need this hat. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's purging my my visit. You know, like he's my going visit. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and so that happens on his end. Yeah. What what? So step one, start to purge. What should he do next? Because I don't like this dripping of purging coming to my home. What should he well, do next? Well, next thing, you know, a clear bag. We always use a clear bag when everything that's going to charity. So try to say to him, you know, Dad, there are so many people that could use this stuff. Why don't you help them? I don't need any stuff. And if you could say, you know, charity, you know, begins at home, that's fine. I've got everything. But there are so many people in Calgary, tough times, get that could really would love this stuff. And then once you get them buying in on that, I think it'll be a lot easier. But again, you know, it's always, you know, I always like to say, you know, uh, when I did my mom's, I did my sister's, I, you know, I've done everybody. And I'll go in and say, okay, look, you've got all this stuff. Let's let's see what you got. Okay, there's a dealer that will buy this. There's You've got gold. You've got old watches. You've got stuff that you didn't know how, had any value. You know, we help people with telling them, oh, yeah, this does have value. I'll send somebody over and say, hey, look, they got a bunch of old memorabilia. They come with cash and they want to buy it, that money goes directly to dad. So you got to look at those things too, because everybody has stuff in their home that yeah. does have value that they don't really believe they do, like a coin collection, yeah. a stamp collection. They might have mid-century modern items. They might have, you know, I had a client that had a, bought his first watch for $25. It was a Rolex. Hmm. He had no idea what the value of it was. <laughs> when, you know, when, when he passed away, it was sold. Yeah. You know, so you look at those things. I mean, not everything has value, but there are certainly things that do have value. And if they do want to get rid of it and they want to make a little money, there's lots of different ways of going about it. And so many times uh, a person will look at their their home and they'll say, okay, I need to purge. I know I want to downsize uh, my home. Um, but this is overwhelming. People mm-hmm. kind of get paralysis from analysis yeah. of what's in their home. Yeah. Now you offer a service. You yeah. do this for a living. That's right. What's what's the what's the benefits of of of, uh, of having someone like you come on board, and and how how long does that that process take for for an average home that has to be downsized or purged and so forth? Well, typically, um, we like to see a client um, start in kind of one area of where they find it to be the most onerous. That's usually the basement, yeah. and that can be hard. But because we are the unobjective third party, we don't have any skin in the game, and we're not going to hurt their feelings and say, you know, this has to be taken care of or whatever. So we sit, I sit down with them, and, I'll, and I will negotiate with them. And that's okay. the most important thing, negotiating with them to say, hey, this is really great. Don't you think that maybe the high school would like these instruments? Oh, yeah, that's mm-hmm. a great idea, Cindy. So we look at lots of different ways of how we can move stuff around, but people really I would say before they downsize, they have to have a place of where they're going to go because that's the light at the end of the tunnel. Once they figure out, okay, I'm going from 2,500 square feet to 1,200 square feet, now you can figure out what what you're going to take, and everything else then after that is a negotiation. It is onerous, but having an unobjective third party come in is really good because, A, you take the heat off the family, and, B, they're not going to... You know, they're not going to be yelling at you or anything like that because they understand. I do this every week with somebody. So I've got a lot of really great ideas, and 
I kind of put them at ease, and, and that makes it simpler for them. Yeah, so in, in some cases, people have already purchased their next property, their next right. home they're moving down yeah. to. Now they're on the clock. Right. Now they're on the clock. So give me an idea, or, or maybe in your experience, how quickly can someone going from a 2,500-square-foot home filled with stuff mm-hmm. go to 1,200? Like, how, What's the turnaround time in that? Usually for us, we, we pack them, sort them, get them over there in two days. Wow. Pictures are hung, TVs are mounted. Wow. Everything's done. Then we, it takes us about five days to clean out a house. Okay. Once we do that, we pack everything for charity. Once we've made sure the family has taken absolutely everything, and we'll get mom and dad to come back to the house before we start the transition of removing everything from the house. We'll say, one more walkthrough, make sure you've got whatever you want, because after that, it's either being sold, it's going to charity, or if it's just El Crapola, broken tables or chairs with only three legs, it's going in the dump. Yeah. Once they've done that, signed off a piece of paper, go for it. That's exactly what we do. We usually takes about a day and a half, two days, to get the house packed up, uh, all the charity to the drop to charity, um, any dump items going to the dump, all chemicals to the fire hall, everything like that. Then we do a heavy clean, which is for real estate and clean home sell. Yeah. So usually it takes us five days. There you go. Okay. And if someone wants to get a hold of you to, to walk through this process with them, how do, yep. they, get, how do they get in touch with you? Uh, SeniorsDownsizing.ca is our website. And anything that we sell for the client, we take no commission. We're the only company out there like that. Yeah. Every, any, every dime we find or whatever goes exactly right to them. Look at that. Cindy, thank you for joining us today. Uh, thanks, Basil. We've been joined by Cindy Bodette, owner of Destination Seniors Downsizing. Um, this is a very interesting trend that's happening. She's getting busier and busier as more people are looking at downsizing in their homes because of the aging population. You know what else is a concern for the aging population? Having income for the rest of their lives. And so we want to talk about how do you securitize your income throughout your retirement? How do you bulletproof your retirement so you can handle the issues of healthcare, maybe downsizing, passing on your wealth to the next generation? We're going to talk about all these topics on Tuesday, February 18th, 7 p.m. at the Carriage House Inn. You need to reserve your seats. So give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400, or you can register online at morethanmoneyradio.com. That's the end of our show today. I want to thank all of our guests and thank you for listening. Join us up next week. You'll have been listening to 770 CHQR and More Than Money. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.